Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of buffstampede.com. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I have not done a solo podcast before. Uh, hopefully, we can coordinate schedules with Tyler Ziskin. And I've also had chats with William Gardner about recording a podcast with him. So we'll try to get back to having a, a co-host on here. But it's been a while since uh, we've recorded a podcast. But anyways, give me feedback on this podcast. And you can be brutally honest if you want to and say, Adam, you should not go at this alone. We need uh, a co-host on here. But uh, again, it's been too long since we had a mailbag edition of Buff Stampede Radio. We're kind of in, in a quieter time of the year, although recruiting obviously is heated up since June 1st. Hope you've been logging onto the site and getting updates on all the recruits that Colorado's after. Most of these questions uh, revolve around the football team. We'll jump right into it. Shot into Buff asked, proposing a new feature called Buff Stampede Mythbuster, true or false? And number one is Carl Durrell is low energy. So true or false on that, I would definitely say false. Uh, there's a difference between energy and hype. And Carl Durrell is not into hype. And I think that's the, the misconception there is that Mel Tucker, he had some flash to him uh, you know, when he was the head coach at Colorado for a, a brief period of time. That's not Carl Durrell's MO. You know, he's he's actually more substance, though, at the end of the day. And so, you know, low energy to me is lazy. You know, it, it's not doing everything you can to try to better the program if you're a college football head coach. And, and that's certainly not the case with Carl Durrell. We saw what they did in the transfer portal. Their recruiting has taken a step up. I, I know that uh, some of their top targets here this week have gone elsewhere, and uh, we'll see as, as that goes forward. But uh, it, it's more about the recruits you get than the ones you don't, right? So we'll see how that goes. Number two on Shia DeBuff's list of true or false is recruits don't care about Boulder's high quality of life. That's a tough one. I, I'm going to say true there because 18-year-old football recruits look at a college they are committing to different than, let's say you're a 30-year-old looking for a place to settle down, right? The mountains are never going to hurt in recruiting. And, and there have been recruits, I'm sure, that found the scenery something that, that prompted them to commit to the buffs. But if you're going to look at this is kind of a blanket statement, which isn't fair because each recruit has different criteria for why they're picking a college, right? But I would say generally that's overrated. That's something that as you get older in life, you seem to appreciate that stuff more. But again, there there are recruits that are outdoorsmen that really take to the the scenery and the beauty of Colorado and the outdoor lifestyle, and, and it can help. And it certainly it's better this year being able to get recruits out on campus than last year over Zoom. I had seen Boulder as a young kid, pictures of it. It almost kind of looks fake. And, and so when we took a family vacation out to Colorado, when I saw it for the first time with my own eyes, it's just different. And so obviously it's good that Colorado has been able to bring these recruits out. But if I'm going to have to pick a true or false here, I'm going to say that, uh, High quality of life is not on the number one on the list of priorities for most high school recruits. And sadly, the coaches that are recruiting them tend to be the biggest factor. And, and why I say sadly is because you don't just have to look at CU. You can look at most college football programs. And how often is the same head coach and position coach there 
for four or five years. It's not, it's not very often. And so recruits shouldn't be basing their decision the way they are. But the bottom line is most of the time, it's the recruiting assistant that they have developed the best relationship that, you know, prompts them to make that call. And, and, and so with the transfer portal now and that one-time transfer exemption, you're going to see continued movement across college football. So I'm on the fence, whether that's good or bad for, for college football, but it is what it is. Number three for shy and buff was recruits don't care about our program's history, true or false. I'm going to say false, but true in the sense they care less about what happened in 1990 and more about what has happened since they started following sports. And CU's current commits, they were born in 2003 or 2004. So, so let that sink in. Their point of reference is not your point of reference if you're 30 years old or older than that, because it's just not going to be something that it is important to them. What happened back in 1990. It's nice to have that national championship and, and be able to post pictures with the Heisman trophy. That stuff is good, but their impression of CU is more based on what's happened here recently. And yeah, they went four and two last year. And I know the Alamo bowl didn't go all that well for Colorado, but you get back into back-to-back bowl games or you start doing that on a consistent basis, then their perception of the program changes. There's nothing that helps recruiting more than winning. And that's why it's been tough for, for this program. Number four from Shine to Buff on the true false buff stampede myth buster segment here. Colorado will never be considered the main rival of another Pac-12 school. I'm leaning towards true here, unless something happens in that yearly Utah series going forward to create true animosity. I just don't know how a rival, a true rival, I guess he uses the word main rival, develops. And part of it's a geographical thing, right? Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Arizona, Arizona State, UCLA, USC, Cal Stanford. There's a common theme there. And Utah has the BYU rivalry. So you're going to have to have something happen in that series. And it's a ways from happening. You know, I don't think I'm on the buffstampede.com message board every day. I just don't see a lot of hate towards Utah. And I don't go to Utah's 24-7 sports that often. But when I do, I don't see that much hate towards CU. I don't know where else that would come from. There's CU fans that hate Arizona State in football, Arizona in basketball. But for a main rival to happen, it has to be something that goes both ways. And I just don't know when I look across the conference what's going to create that, aside from possibly Utah, just from a geographical standpoint. And obviously, that's usually the last regular season game on the schedule. You don't want there to be something ugly that happens to create that, but on the same level, maybe you do. You know, I think rivalries are good in college football, and and that's maybe the one negative to to Colorado being in the Pac-12 
be to the us asked from what you've observed over the last 15 months, what do you think the expectations for recruiting should be for Carl Durrell and staff within the conference with the understanding that winning games impacts recruiting, i.e. top half, top third, et cetera? This is a good question. Colorado does not have a great recruiting base. We all know that. They're always going to be at a disadvantage when you compare them to schools that are in California or, you know, they're not in the Big 12 anymore, but schools that are in Texas where a recruit can get in a car and drive there unofficially now that things are back open back up. A lot of recruits want their family and friends to be able to come on game day easily and watch them play. It's important to them, a lot of them. So Colorado is going to be at a disadvantage as far as that goes. I still think Colorado has a lot to offer, though. Colorado has had a class that was ranked 15th nationally back in 2008. And some people want to have it be black and white in terms of star rankings. It's been proven over time. There's been a lot of studies and research done on this that if you're a five-star recruit, you're more likely to get drafted into the NFL. You're more likely to be all-conference. You're more likely to be a starter in college. And it goes down from four-star to three-star. And there is something to be said in terms of consistently having highly ranked recruiting classes. For whatever reason, Colorado has been kind of cursed as far as blue-chip recruits go. You start to look at who the best players have been in CU football the last 20 years. And in most cases, it's the three-star guy. And I remember Steve Marshall, a former offensive line coach at CU, made a comment to me, and and I really agreed with this. He said, look, the the blue-chip guys, the top 200 or so nationally – are so obvious. You know, even my mother who doesn't know anything about football could pick those guys up. And it's true. You go out to a camp, you go out to a game and they're usually physical specimens or just special talents that it doesn't take a whole lot of time to watch them to know, okay, this guy's top tier. After that group, that top 200, you know, 24 seven sports, we've got a great team of recruiting analysts and they work really hard. But it is an inexact science, as they say, for a reason, right? If a recruit is a three-star guy and he doesn't go to certain camps, he doesn't get that exposure, he might be underrated just because of lack of exposure, not necessarily because he's not a good football player. And so that's where the legwork of a recruiting staff, if they're a good staff in terms of evaluation, is so key. And when you're Colorado that, that hasn't had recent success consistently, You need that. And is that going to excite fans when a a low three-star commits? No, but no, Nate Landon was a three-star recruit and and he's revered. If you're a real football junkie, look at the huddle tape and, and make your own observations. I do think it's important that you have a recruiting class where a lot of your commits have other power five options. You don't want to have to out-evaluate everybody all the time. But if you get a Caden Ludwig on campus, you, you have a private workout with him, you've evaluated him all this time, 
Zach Courtney is another example. There's a couple guys that I know there's been a big debate on our message board following their commitments, just in terms of the fact that they don't have a ton of other power five options. Ludwig did have Washington state, but I get it. I get a fan that, Hey, I want to beat Oklahoma for a recruit, you know, that's fun. And, uh, there's only 12 to 14 college football games a year, right? So you are, if you're passionate about your program that you're a fan of, anytime you beat out those other schools, it's almost, it almost feels like a win on the field just because, again, there, there's only there's 365 days in a year and recruiting is an extension of your fandom of CU. And I get it. You want to have that high of look at all these schools we beat out for this recruit. But at the end of the day, if Caden Ludwig comes in and and starts four years for the buffs and is an all conference guy, then you're going to look back feeling pretty stupid about your opinion of of, if you had a negative opinion about his commitment. So uh, a little bit of a rant there, Um, but middle of the pack 12 is kind of where I, I think you should see, you know, folks were ready to, hold a parade for Mel Tucker when they finish seventh in the recruiting rankings. And I, I do think we've seen an uptick with Colorado recruiting here now that the recruits have been able to get on campus. And so uh, I don't want to say trust the process because that didn't work out so well for the Philadelphia 76ers this year. But again, I, I think there's more substance with Carl Durrell and this staff than, than we've seen. They're, they're dealing with a jaded fan base. It, it's tough when you've seen a lot of bad football in, you go from being the worst FBS program in terms of scoring margin to under Mike McIntyre being more respectable. You had one magical season in there, but five and seven is kind of a a swear word in Buff Nation right now because folks want to go to bowl games and and they should, That, that should be their expectation. Nippus 13 asked, what do you think about Voorhees being ranked ahead of Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Jarek Broussard, Katie Nixon being rated the ninth best receiver in the conference, and CU's receiving core being ranked 11th in the conference. So I missed this. I don't know who ranked these folks that way. In terms of Broussard, yeah, maybe that's disrespectful, but I do think CU's going to have more of a running back by committee in 2021. So I don't think he's going to put up the stats that he did. Obviously, the system up there at Washington State with Mike Leach in, in their new head coach, Nick Rolovich, it, it's a system that's really suited well to, to Max Borhe. I don't have a major problem with that. I'm honestly rooting for Katie Nixon. But also, if we're going to be honest, he's one of the most hyped players I've covered at CU. He's just simply not a consistent player. I had asked our USC publisher after the spring game, you know, what's going on with Katie Nixon? How are things going out there? And he said, he, you know, he didn't have a catch in the spring game. I, I think there are definitely more than 10 better receivers in the conference than him. I don't know enough about every program in the conference to know exactly where he ranks. And yeah, CU won't have the, the 11th best receiving core in the conference. Frankly, Nixon leaving is addition by subtraction, if you ask me. Again, I'm not trying to be overly negative towards him and and hope he does well his senior year. These lists, these preseason prognostications are just based on 
sometimes very little research. And, and I know Brian Howell does the, the preview for Athlon Magazine and does a great job. But I also know that he has to submit his entry there like mid-spring ball. So especially with the transfer portal, it, it's harder and harder to put a whole lot of stock into what you're reading in, the, in those preseason magazines. SD Buff 24 asked, I'm interested in our defensive line, specifically with its depth. It seems like the staff hasn't been aggressive in the portal looking for defense alignment. Is that because they feel good about current defense line players, or do they expect a defensive line portal player to be added? It sounds like they're going to roll into camp with what they have, and Blaine Toll has transferred in. I know when Brian and Howell and I shot our top offs countdown video, and we talked about Blaine Toll. We were a little confused because he was pictured with Brian Michalowski and the outside linebackers during a dinner out on Pearl Street. We thought he was going to be a defense lineman. And uh, I've come to find out that he will be a defensive end. Michalowski is going to catch, is going to coach those edge guys that, that, that are more pass rush types. Obviously, Chris Wilson getting elevated to defense coordinator. He's got quite a bit on his plate. I am concerned about CU's defensive line going into camp. I, I think you should be because there's a lot of uncertainty there outside of Terrence Lang and Jalen Sami has done some good things. You like his potential. Janaz Jordan played a lot last year, but aside from those guys and Naeem Rodman who had a big spring, you know, how, how much depth is there going to be there? It doesn't look like there's a lot right now. You're right to have concerns about that defensive line. And that's, a position, I feel like, if some of these guys that are in the program right now don't perform well this coming year, I could see 2022 being a big year for Colorado to add defense alignment from the transfer portal. So that's a great question. I I, I think you're right on there. If you're going to start ranking list a list of concerns looking ahead to 2021, Defense line depth would be pretty high on my list, if not number one. PA Buff asked, in CU basketball, we know who we are. We have an identity focused on rebounding length, wicked defense, and guard play, concentrating on assists. In football, though, with Carl Durrell's short season and inherited players, it's not so clear what our identity is. You know what we're talking about here. Things like linebacker U or a team categorized by a dominant offensive line, etc. Do we yet have an identity? Are we heading toward one? What is Carl Durrell trying to achieve in things like an aggressive defense, the running back slash quarterback equation, the use of tight ends, risk-taking versus conservative plays on both defense and offense? Once he has his own players, what do you think it will be? Another great question. I think this is something that maybe I'll ask Coral Durrell about in the preseason. From what I can gather, is their identity as being multiple, being versatile? And it sounds contradictory towards creating a, an identity, right? But I don't think they want to be pigeonholed into a specific identity. The great thing about being multiple is that you're hard to game plan against. You're unpredictable. The bad thing about being multiple is that these are college kids and you have only so many hours with them. One of the reasons Tyson Summers' defense was criticized was that it was very 
difficult to learn and grasp. And so if you have one guy on that defense, one out of 11 that doesn't know what their job is, as they say, uh, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And that's an issue. They pride themselves this coaching staff on being really good teachers and, and being a coaching staff that can, can develop players. And so only time's going to tell on that, you know, that last year, no spring ball, very rushed camp to get, to get the season going. This year you finally had a spring ball, but so many players were out and this is not making excuses. This is just reality. Dan Hawkins, he was multiple when he was a coach at Colorado and that didn't work out so well, but based on a short sample size we've had with Carl Durrell, I, I think that uh, he's a better coach than, than Dan Hawkins will ever be. So time will tell here with what the identity is. But again, I, I don't think their vision of this program is let's focus on these two aspects. But we do know that the use of the tight ends is a priority. That That's something different than we've seen with recent head coaches at Colorado. We saw them go from a, a two-gap scheme to a one-gap scheme defensively. They do want to be aggressive there. I think one area that they do need to improve on in 2021, as you kind of look at 2020 and, and things that they need to get better at to have more success, it's got to be creating turnovers. And uh, it's been a really long time since Colorado had a quarterback drafted. And so at some point, you, you got to strike just from the law of averages there. And maybe Brennan Lewis is that guy. I don't know. But uh, JT Shroud has a lot of arm talent. Shy in the Buff asked, what's a realistic floor and ceiling for this coaching staff on a one, five, 10 year plan? That's tough in terms of the five and 10 year plan because you go to a bowl game this year, which I think would be your year one. I don't want to say ceiling because I, I really think that this is a coaching staff that is not going to feel a football team where you're embarrassed to be a, a Colorado fan. So floor and ceiling, given how tough their schedule is this year, I think they win between five and seven games this year. And I think anything outside of that would surprise me if they won less than five or if they won more than seven. Again, given how challenging the schedule is, that would surprise me as well. Five to 10 years because of the transfer portal. I don't know if there is a ceiling. You, you start to have some success on the field. It becomes easier to sell yourself to recruits. Again, I, I think the floor is higher with his coaching staff. I just would be surprised if we're reverting back to a, a situation where, again, you're embarrassed to be a CU fan. Maybe the, the floor would be those five and seven seasons that, that got old during McIntyre's tenure and during Mel Tucker's one season in Boulder. But it's a new college football. Again, with the transfer portal, you're going to have guys coming and going. And if you can upgrade talent every year, you can surpass some of the teams in the South. Utah's had a really good run, but outside of USC with their great recruiting base, you can you can compete with those other programs. UCLA, you shouldn't be able to, again, for that recruiting base reason, but obviously they have struggled here the last 15 or so years. So Arizona State, who knows what's going on there? That's, that's going to be a mess. I'd be surprised if there's not coaches fired as a result of what's going on right now. Arizona, there's a lot of excitement with the new coaching staff there, but um, they've, they've got quite a ways to go. Maybe that's the optimistic view of things is that Colorado's in a better spot than they've been at in a while, just in terms of what, what we've seen from this coaching staff and other programs in the South struggling right now. 
Arjack3 asked, is there any question that nags at you regarding this upcoming CU Buffs football season? For example, a question that makes you less optimistic about the Buffs' bowl chances or anything like that. In terms of what makes me less optimistic, again, it goes back to the schedule. And 18 to 22-year-olds can ride or sink under a wave of momentum or lack thereof. In 2016, Akella Witherspoon gets the pick, and, and we know where that momentum took them that year. I, had they not won that game, I still think they're a bowl team, but nowhere near 10 wins probably that year. That is a huge deal, momentum. And so it's going to be really, really challenging when you play Texas A&M in Denver in week two. Uh, conference play, you start out you start out on the road at Arizona State. And, and like I just mentioned, uh, that, that program, it's tough to project where where they're going to be at morale-wise in September 25th. But I do know September 25th, it's still going to be pretty darn hot down there. That's going to be a tough game. USC comes to Boulder, a program you've never beaten before. Are they beatable? Yes, but you got to do it once before people start expecting you to win that football game. So if they can survive that first stretch, obviously Northern Colorado is well in there in Minnesota. If you can get through that first five games, two and three, and and not get embarrassed in 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 any of those losses, there there's an opportunity to win some games. You know, playing Arizona at home, going to Cal, at Oregon obviously will be tough. Oregon State at home on homecoming, we'll see if Sam Noyer's behind center when that takes place. But it's somehow finding a way to to survive that early season stretch without losing that morale. Davis Buff asked, what are the odds that Carl Durrell keeps his bowling streak alive in 2021? 4060? Is that too pessimistic or optimistic? If I had to put a number on it, that's probably where I'm going. Carl Durrell has been a head coach for six years, gone bowling each of those years. That's a decent sample size, but I don't know. If he's faced a schedule as tough as what they're facing early on this season as a head coach. And so we'll see. The real Mizzou buff asked, who would you project as the most impactful transfer player? We did the voting for the top buffs countdown. And I'm not going to say exactly where this player comes in, but the highest transfer player I had, and I kind of went chalk here, is Max Ray. You just talked to folks that covered him out at Ohio State, and they say he should be starting for pretty much any power five program in the country. He's really talented. They just are loaded at that position. They've got one of the top offensive tackles in the country that they had to move to guard just to get him on the field. And so that's why I would go with Max Ray is just what I've heard from the folks that covered him out at Ohio state. Obviously there's an open job at offensive tackle there that's up for grabs. And so I would be surprised if he does not take that during preseason camp. Monstrous Joe asked, I have been impressed with the coach's effort in the transfer portal. I'm of the opinion that future years will rely less on the portal and more on traditional recruiting thinking. Carl Durrell had a roster he did not like, and given the COVID limitations, had to change it quickly. Future roster development will be recruits with the occasional transfer. Thoughts? Yeah, I think when Carl Durrell saw what happened to them in the Alamo Bowl, it kind of smacked them upside the head in terms of where the depth is in this program. And that's frankly been the biggest issue the buffs have had here during this stretch. His preference would be more on traditional recruiting. And I think they will try to do that as much as they can. 
But the transfer portal is a necessary evil that coaches are going to have to take advantage of to be successful. The one-time transfer exemption is going to make for it to continue to be like college football free agency or going forward now. It is a one-time exemption, so maybe it'll settle down a little bit. But you look at Colorado with their transfer situation, obviously a tons of on guard didn't make it in. There was a hiccup in the process with him enrolling at Colorado, but they had six incoming transfers, even without him. I think you will continue to see, you know, probably the trend being that, that five to seven range here, at least for a couple more years, especially with Carl Durrell really trying to put his blueprints together with, with developing depth within this program. But, He's said on the record that he wants to build his program with high school recruits. He feels like the staff is one that is going to be good at developing players. And so uh, the more time you have with them, obviously, the, the more time you have to, to develop them. And so I think uh, that will be their number one priority. But there, there's just no way around the transfer portal. And even once it settles down, you're still going to, I think, see most Power 5 programs bringing at least three to, to five transfers in a given year. It just, it's just, it's a different college football now than, than it was 10, 20 years ago. Farhang asked, the impact of the free year of eligibility and transfer portal on the 25 slash 85 scholarship limits. And he broke it down. Okay, what's the impact of it on high school recruits? Certainly it affects the 2022 class quite a bit just because you're not going to have as many open scholarships for that 2022 class across the country, which I think it lends itself to a little bit more parity from the group of five to the power five. Now you're still going to have the haves and have nots. Don't get me wrong. Alabama and Clemson are still going to be recruiting at a very high level in 2022, but there's that fringe recruit that maybe in a normal set of circumstances would have had an opportunity to go to a power five, but because there just aren't going to be as many open spots across those power five programs nationally, you know, maybe they go to a mountain West school or a WAC school. And so I, I think that class is affected greatly by the fact of, of there being free eligibility with these super seniors coming back. He also asked the impact of that on colleges in general. You know, I, I think you have to be brutally honest now and, and take on the NFL model of, of, on some level, cutting players. You sit down with them and say, look, look, you're not going to play here. You can't cut them like an NFL team does, but you can have that brutally honest take with the player. And by and large, they want to play. So they're going to go somewhere where they can play. And we saw that a little bit at CU following spring ball. And that kind of transitions me to Barhang's. He asked about the impact of it on the buffs more specifically, where you're going to see that 2585 limit have the biggest impact on the buffs is that there are guys in this program that are juniors that could come back and be seniors in 2022, but they're going to move on. They're going to be asked to move on. And, and you know, you would think, especially given the fact that those juniors are five, six years removed from high school. In most cases, that they will have their degree. So they're going to leave Boulder with that. But if you're not having a huge impact on the team as a junior, you, you got to move on because they've got to find room 
for the 2022 class. And I think Colorado ends up signing 15 to 20 guys. And so you've got to find room for those guys. He also asked about so few senior slash super seniors. The impact there is for the guys that were able to come back and, and play that super senior season is you know, a lot of guys are leaving college programs are going to be leaving college programs with a master's degree, which is great for them. You know, take advantage of the system. Uh, I've never been one that thinks that college football players deserve to be given more compensation than what they have right now. When you, you talk to people that fundraise for scholarships in Colorado, it's, uh, you know, close to hundred grand a year in terms of what they have to raise because it's not just the free education. It's free food. It's free gear. It's, uh, you know, flights back home during breaks. They, they have a pretty good deal and they get a stipend. Maybe that stipend should be increased. And if the you know NCAA or some governing body going forward could put a cap on what these head coaches are making, but even that I think is a pipe dream. I don't think that's actually ever going to happen. And so, take advantage of the system as much as you can. And it's cool for the super seniors that are going to be able to achieve that master's degree without having to pay a dime for it. Troutman Five asked, "Hey Adam, thanks for all your hard work." What are your favorite players currently committed for 2022? First off, personality-wise, Dylan Dixon and Victor Venn are really fun recruits to talk to. And obviously, they're really talented players as well. Victor Venn, uh, he's uh, a jitterbug out there. And, and I can't wait to see you know, how his college career pans out. Dylan Dixon, he could grow into a linebacker right now. He's projected as a safety I really like his potential. Ronald Lewis is going to be a stud. Just, I have a gut feeling about that at cornerback. I really like his potential. Most underrated would probably be Caden Ludwig. Those guys in California and Oregon were really, let's be honest, they were, they were screwed by the pandemic in terms of restrictions in their area. And it took a long time for him to get that junior film out there. Colorado has been with him early on. They got a chance to do a private workout with him. He's put on a ton of good weight during this pandemic. So kudos to Caden Ludwig. It's easy during the pandemic to get complacent. And you know, I've got about 10 pounds I need to lose from the pandemic. It just It's easy when you're isolated and you're not in your normal routine. Props to Caden Ludwig. He worked his butt off and uh, it, it paid off for him. Colorado gladly accepted his commitment. And so uh, I would say from a most underrated standpoint, that's who I have right now. The Gilded One asked, similarities and differences in the recruiting philosophy slash approach of this staff versus the previous one? That's a great question. Differences is easier to answer here. I think this current staff is more invested in the long-term approach versus short-term excitement. It's easy to look back at the Mel Tucker era because hindsight is always twenty twenty. Okay. Was he all along trying to secure another gig somewhere else? It feels that way. It was about generating the most excitement we can. It wasn't about what is the program going to look like three, four, five years. I really do believe that Carl Durrell looks at this job 
as hopefully in his mind, I would think, I don't want to speak for somebody else, but the vibe I've gotten is that I want this to be my last gig. I, I'm all in with the CU buffs. And if he has success, that's the greatest thing ever because Colorado just has not been that destination job for other coaches. You know, I, I think Mike McIntyre kind of had that mindset, but he didn't have the experience that, that Carl Durrell does and the vision in terms of you, you guys saw how frustrated Carl Durrell was after the Alamo Bowl. It was unacceptable in his mind. And, and that's great because I don't know if Mike McIntyre has the same frustration after that game that Carl Durrell does. In terms of similarities with the recruiting philosophy and approach, that's tough. Um, there's more differences than similarities I think, between Carl Durrell and Mel Tucker. And again, I think there's more substance with Carl Durrell. T- you know, time will tell the, the the tale there. On some level, there's similarities in terms of you've got to play the game with graphics, edits. You know, it's cool that the bus brought, brought back the buff signal. That's always a fun thing to see out there. Shout out to Kyle McCall, who created the initial one. They've, they've upgraded there with uh, Bo Savage, who does a great job with his team there in the graphics department. Like I mentioned, there, there's only 12 to 14 football games for CU in a given year. And I love all you folks that live and die with it. You know, I'm very passionate about this job. And so you want that hype. You want that excitement. But. I do think there is more substance behind all of what CU is doing right now. And, and again, time will tell in terms of what Carl Durrell's era and legacy will look like as the head coach at CU. Shine DeBuff asked, how is recruiting structured in men's basketball? What slash who do you credit for the recent success? So they've always gotten more of a team effort. It's not, hey, this is your recruit. And, and certainly some guys take more of a lead with a certain prospect than others, but very much a, a team effort there. I wonder, and this is just me speculating, when you have Arizona un, under investigation, Kansas under investigation, and you've got you know HBO doing you know a behind the scenes documentary on cheating in college basketball, how much less cheating is going on? There's still cheating out there in college basketball recruiting that that'll never change. I don't think, but some of these programs were under more scrutiny. Does that allow a, a clean CU program to recruit better than they would have been able to three or even, I guess, two years ago. Right. Um, that's something if I run into Tad Boyle in a hallway and we can talk off the record, I'd love to kind of get his take on that and and ask him do you feel like you can recruit a little bit higher level of recruit than maybe you you thought you could before and it's not like they they pulled in mcdonald's all americans in the class that they just signed that ranked first in the pac-12 and i I don't know how much of a kickback those guys in, in colorado's range in terms of the guys they signed would have gotten back when cheating was you know maybe more rampant again you know, it's one of those things, nobody's advertising exactly how much cheating they're doing. So you're guessing in that sense, but I, I do think that 
maybe that had a little bit something to do with the fact that they were able to be in on more highly regarded prospects. But uh, th that's a great question in terms of credits. I think it goes across the board. I don't think there's one coach. It's not like they brought in a new coach that just was the lights out recruiter for this coaching staff. Vin Buff fan 33 asked, is there any info on who the basketball team is looking at to replace Nate Tomlinson? When do you think they will have someone hired? It sounds like that announcement is going to come pretty soon. Natty Zaddy asked, what's your favorite authentic Mexican restaurant slash food truck on the front range? He also requested that no hipster slash huge margarita bars with Tex-Mex would be allowed in my answer here, which I appreciate. I'm, I'm from Phoenix. And so uh, the Rio is, is fine. Uh, I enjoy going there. Hacienda, Colorado, me and William are actually going to catch up on Thursday and have lunch there. So I'm not anti-Tex-Mex, Chipotle, all day, every day. But yeah, like in terms of authentic Mexican food, that, that's a whole different category. I love De Corazon in Denver. It's been a while since I've been able to go there. Tacos Ayeye in Lafayette, Marcos Hot Dogs and Tacos in Longmont, Taqueria Rancho Alegre in Loveland is a good spot. Los Ritos Tacos E Hot Dogs, it's a food truck in Milliken. Those are kind of my spots. Uh, I sound like a gringo saying all those names, but I'm more into like really, really good tacos than I am those combination plates where you get a bunch of refried beans and rice. So most of my spots in terms of authentic Mexican food is going to be those taco spots, specifically, you know, some good carne asada with uh, some cilantro and onions and throw a little lime on top and some good salsa. And that's where it's at for me. Nip is 13 asked, what's the funniest thing punchy has done so far. This can include something that drove you nuts when it happened, but will now forever make you smile and laugh when you think about it. Well, I can say, the least funny thing that Punchy did is she ate a stress ball that one of our kids left downstairs. It got stuck to her small intestine. She was not eating. So I took her into, her into the vet. They did x-rays and they found the stress ball lodged there and it didn't move. They had her for a couple of days. Then they go in for surgery. She goes in at 730 at night. This is about two months ago now. And I'm going to wait up to, you know, find out how our dog's doing and don't hear anything by midnight. So I call the vet. Punchy's still in surgery. So I'm starting to get pretty concerned now. And by 2.30, I think, is when I got the call back finally. they It was touch and go there for a minute. The vet had to call in for another vet to drive in to help out with the procedure. Thank God Punchy is doing great. Uh, she's a ball of energy, a very sweet dog. She's over here to my right now looking at me. Uh, she's kind of my my coworker here on buffstampede.com. And uh, in terms of like leg legitimately, and, and by the way, uh, she also got spayed a couple weeks later. So uh, we, we've sunk about 5,000 into this dog in terms of medical procedures here in the last few months. And so uh, hopefully she is uh, not getting cut again here in the future. And Yes, hindsight being 2020, we would have gotten pet insurance. It would have uh, made this whole process a little bit more palatable. Punchy's a great dog. 
her going to bed routine is pretty funny because uh, we have her in the crate at night just because uh, she gets into things. She just got into a bag of cotton balls that my wife left out on the counter yesterday. It looked like a pot, cotton ball uh, bomb went off in our living room. So she can't be trusted to her own devices. So I'm going to put her in the crate at night and uh, just her drama over the whole process is, is pretty funny. I'm going to have to get video of this because I don't know if words are going to express just how dramatic it gets when uh, we try to put her to bed at night. Boxers are awesome dogs. They're very uh, hard on the sleeve type of dogs. Uh, we're getting the full boxer experience here and, and I wouldn't change it. You know, obviously I would, uh, had I seen one of our kids leave that stress ball downstairs, I would have uh, not left it out. Uh, that was not fun, but just in general, she has been an awesome dog and, I love taking her to the dog park and just watching her go crazy, just chasing after other dogs. She's just full of life. And a subscriber on buffstampede.com has a, a boxer puppy, similar age named Coco, that is uh, actually a month younger than Punchy. But uh, we get together a couple times a month and just watching those dogs play for, for a couple hours each time is pretty, pretty entertaining. There were a couple other questions, including one about how many other power five schools had issues feeling enough offensive defense alignment for spring ball. Honestly, I just, I don't have that knowledge of other programs. There are a few questions here that I'm going to save for the next podcast. Somebody asked if CU was a car, what car would that be? And, and <laughs> that's a fun question. Uh, I'm going to ask our, our kids that are into cars and, and get their take on that. But uh, yeah, I appreciate all of you for tuning into the show. Again, we're, we're going to have co-hosts on here and I'm going to try to catch up with some other former buzz before camp starts. Some feedback would be great. Is this the worst podcast you've ever heard on buffstampede.com or should I do this on a consistent basis in terms of answering your questions? Your feedback will be important. Rate, review, follow Buff Stampede Radio on whatever your desired podcast platform is. Again, I appreciate you for tuning in.